Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the works of the ministry. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and uh, make your way back in from the foyer outside, wherever you be right now. Come in. Come back. End those conversations. Let's gather back in. Hallelujah. Guys are awful quiet this morning. Since when do you guys listen to me and stop talking when I say something, man? It's like, I guess I'm, I'm shocked. All right. That's good. So uh, we have, I have the privilege today to introduce to you uh, my good friend, Micah Beckwith. He is uh, a pastor. He is a, someone who loves our country. He has uh, ran for U.S. Congress, came in second. You don't get a prize for second, but... Um, <laughs> He did it out of obedience to the Lord, and we've been praying very hard for the right connections right now because um, how many know it's, it's a challenge to uh, navigate our culture at this time, and a lot of churches struggle. How do we navigate our culture? And we want to be led by the Spirit. We can't always do the same, same things we used to do, and we have to trust that uh, we're being led. And so um, when I got to meet uh, Pastor Micah Beckwith, last July, we had a Voice of the Patriots meeting. Uh, Pastor Mike, uh, Micah came, and we were just, my wife and I said, oh my gosh, we love this guy. We almost threw him in our trunk and took him home with us. <laughs> we tried already, got away before he could I'm do fast. it. I'm oh fast. yeah, he's fast. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, love his, I love his name. Micah means to not be afraid, who is like God. I mean, he is, he is a, a mighty man of God. He is a, he is a tip of the spear. He's going to challenge you today. But how many know we didn't come to church to stay the same, right? We came to be hear the word of God and uh, be challenged today. So let's give it up. Can you stand as we honor Micah Beckwith as he comes, ministers to us today? God bless, Micah. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Well, Gateway Church, it's so good to have you. Pastor Chris, Pastor Deborah, and Ephraim, the whole family, you guys have an amazing community here. I'm just, you know, entering into worship, and it's, it's so good to be in the presence of the Lord with you. So you don't, you don't come across pastors a whole lot like Pastor Chris. So I feel like when I got to know him, I'm like, I'm talking to myself. This is really weird. I don't know. Like, I almost threw you in my trunk, you know what I mean? So I was like, we were trying to put each other in each other's trunks, and the people watching us were like, what are these guys doing? These guys are crazy, you know? Uh, but it is, we are in a season where uh, the, the God is calling the church out to lead, right? He's always been calling the church to lead, but for, for about the last 50 years in America, the church has abandoned its responsibility of leadership, right? And so, so I, I'm, I love it when I get to fellowship and be with like-minded believers who are not afraid. You're warriors, right? And I believe there's a warrior spirit that God is raising up in this country. So today, I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you a little bit. I, I want to just kind of tell you what I'm seeing. I get to speak. I have the privilege of speaking all over the state, really kind of all over the country. Um, and, and, I, and I'm in the political world. I, I was a, I'll give you a little bit of background. This was my, my congressional logo. I, I put it up here so I remember to introduce myself. A lot of times I'll just jump into God's word and people are like, who are you? What, like, what, why are you, okay, we love God's word, but tell us who you are first, right? Like, we want to know you. So, so um, I ran for Congress in 2020. Um, I got in to actually primary the incumbent in the 5th District over in the north side of Indianapolis. Her name was Susan Brooks, and I like Susan. She's a nice lady, but she, um, she was just not honoring and 
staying true to real, real conservative principles, principles that were based in God's word. You started to see really starting to slide away from that. So in 2019, the Lord said, at the, well, at the time, I was, a, I was a worship pastor in, in a church, a big church in Indianapolis, north side of Indianapolis. And, and, uh, and the Lord just said, hey, Mike, I've, I've equipped you. Go speak truth in the political realm. Run for Congress. And I was like, <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> what? Uh, I'll speak, okay, I can do the truth thing. Uh, the Congress thing? Hello? I think you're breaking up, God. Like, uh, come again? Like, what was that? I think we got a bad connection there. And I know politics. My parents raised me to love God's Word and to love the United States Constitution. So, like, that, those are like the, the things that I grew up just digesting was biblical history and American history. And I, you could see the hand of God in Israel and how He led and gave them blessings and prosperity. You can also see the hand of God in the United States and how when we dedicated this land and made a covenant with God, He blessed us and we prospered us. And there's been so many miraculous things that have happened within the United States and now we're just sort of giving it away. It's not even being taken from us. We're giving it away. And so, I, so I, the Lord just said, get in, and, and, and I've, I've called you to be a fighter and a warrior. And so that led to, we laid the groundwork in 2019. I got some really, it's like when the Lord's in something, he just brings the team around you. And that's what happened. It was just like, this team came around us. And we were off to the races, and and we, about a month after we laid the groundwork to run, the incumbent, Susan Brooks, came out and said she was going to retire. And we didn't know that. And all of a sudden, it was like, well, okay, this just changed everything. We thought we were going up against an incumbent, we thought, which is hard to do when in, in any in, incumbents, here's the thing in American politics, incumbents have a 90% win ratio, win percentage, 90%. It could be a glass of water. And like Nancy Pelosi said, if you, you know, if you run a glass of water with a D by its name, it'll win in most Democrat districts. She actually said that. And, and, but that's the truth. Politics, once you get in, it's very hard to get people out. Now, it can be done, and there are some good, there's some good examples of that. But, so I knew we were going up, to, we were going up against Goliath, really. And then, and then she, she came out and said she was retiring. And, and then we said, wow, we're okay. Now it's an open seat, which is, which is way different race, and it's a lot... It's probably better in a lot of ways, uh, but 15 different candidates got in the race. And I was just like, well, you know what, Lord, you called us in this, and we're going to keep running, we're going to sprint, we're going to speak truth, we're going to work hard, and we did. And no, I mean, everybody, I was this little, you know, worship pastor. I was actually technically a youth worship pastor, so it wasn't even in real ministry. I was in kids' ministry, right? You know, <laughs> people are like, people are like, what, you, got, you play guitar for kids. What are you going to, what do you know about Congress? You know what I mean? And, uh, but I knew leadership. I had trained up. I had built businesses. I had built organizations. I understood American histories and the values, and I knew it. And I knew that I knew it. And there wasn't anybody that was going to, in, in, in a debate setting, that would knock me off of my worldview because I knew it so well. And I started doing these debates, and people started taking notice. And, man, this guy actually knows what he's talking about, and he's got fire in his belly, and, man, he might be, he might be the guy. We ended up, we came in, actually, thank you for saying second. We actually came in third, but... But out of 15, we ended up, we only spent, we were able to raise $140,000, which for me, a little worship guy, I was like, this is amazing, you know. In the political world, they said, nah, that's not very much money. Uh, the people, the two that beat us spent close to, one spent a million dollars, and the other one spent almost a million dollars in the primary, in the primary. So, and it's their own, and they were independently wealthy, so they can just write themselves checks. So that's really, it comes down a lot of times to money and resources, but what, but here's the thing, I know, like, I know God's not done. 
People said, oh, Michael, we're so sorry. I said, what are you sorry about? We ran a great race. God has elevated our platform because of that. Now we're speaking all over the place. I've probably done more good in my last year and a half with the kingdom than I can remember 15 years prior. And, and I'm only telling you that not to, not, not, not to brag, but I'm saying, hey, when you start speaking truth, God starts moving on your behalf, right? So that's a little bit about my background, how I kind of got here, and then I spoke at the Voice of the Patriots rally a few months ago, which was awesome, by the way. Keep that up. You guys are doing phenomenal work, and you're making enemies, which is a good thing, <laughs> right? If you have no enemies, I'd say you're pretty ineffective and probably pretty irrelevant. So, uh, and I don't want to make, I don't want to waste time with people like that. So, but, um, so I have, uh, I have a beautiful family. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you my family. So this is my wife, Susan. Uh, this is Brody. And then this is uh, Savannah. Now Savannah's two now. So this was, a, this was a little bit, uh, this was about a year ago. So uh, she, uh, or maybe a little over a year ago, but that's, that's my beautiful family. You know, it's a miracle. God works miracles. We were told we were not going to be able to have kids. And now we have two beautiful kids, like so. Through a lot of prayer and seeing God, seeing God work. So I, I had to show you that one. That's you know. So he is like he's got every superhero costume available on earth, and uh, and she's already got her dad looking for ponies to buy. So I don't know, I don't know how that works, but it's just like oh my goodness. So, but all right. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about. Fear, the fear of God. And one of the things as I was saying, as I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to share to the Gateway Church community? He just said, encourage them and remember that, remember that the, remember to fear God, not man. And he said, he said, and he's been teaching me this over the last year and a half since I've been in politics. He's been showing me that the church in America has lost the fear of God. Right? Because Think about, think about how many churches, I can tell you right now in Indianapolis, we have so many mega churches, if they all just really feared God and did what God told them to do instead of what their lawyers and their, uh, their insurance agents told them to do, you think 2020 would have looked totally different, right? You wouldn't, and, but yet 2020 revealed it was the great unmasking. It was the year of the great unmasking. It revealed the hearts of man. There were people that I thought knew God, walked with Him, and, and feared God, and in 2020 came along, and they, they folded like a cheap suit. Yeah. And then there were other people that I was like, man, I, I didn't know, I, 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 didn't, I never saw that boldness in you until 2020 brought it out of you, right? And so, and the Lord just began to say, Micah, those who will fear me will be those who take the world by storm. Yeah. You know, in, in Matthew 5, I wasn't, this wasn't planning on saying this, but you know in Matthew 5, the Lord says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we look at that as believers, and we're like, well, it's timid, shy, you know, like, we're like, well, well, meek, I don't want to get in a fight, you've got to be really nice, right? You know that term that Jesus was using? It was actually a military term that was given to the Roman war horses that were trained so perfectly for battle that they knew every little movement of their master, every little command that their master would make. They would run into battle. They would never shy away from battle. They were called meeked horses. They were called meeked horses. And that was a military term. So when Jesus was saying, blessed are the meek, he was saying, blessed are the warriors who know me, know my voice, go into battle, do exactly what I tell them to do because they know my voice and they never shy away from the fight. 
And so that, it changes it, right? Blessed are the meek. I mean, now you're like, whoa, okay, we got, we got war to do, right? You know? And so that's, but, but the church in America has taken on, I would say, the, the warped version of that. Blessed are the timid, blessed are the shy, blessed are the quiet, blessed are the wusses, basically, is what it's saying, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's true. It's true, and the Lord doesn't call us to be with You are made in His image. We're going to get into that in a second. You're made in His image. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Kings 19. I'll have it up here on the screen too. But this is a, this is a beautiful look at what fear will do to cripple you and delay the blessings and the victory that God has in your life. Now this is a story of Elijah. We, know, we all know Elijah. He, w- he was on Mount Carmel. He had this epic showdown. It was like, oh man, I just, if, this was, if, you, if I had a time machine, this would be one of the places I would pick. Like, it would be like my top two or three to go back into uh, in the time, right? To go to Mount Carmel and, and to see this showdown between Elijah and then really all of Israel. But it was really Jezebel and her prophets of Baal, her 450 prophets of Baal. And so, so you see this. And so Elijah, you may know the story. Elijah, you know, says, okay, we're going to have, we're going to, we're going to let the God who is real, the God of the universe show up today. We're going to be done with this crap, right? We're just going to show, we're, it's going to be a, it's going to be a supernatural showdown. Let's go. And so, you know, the, they, they said, whoever's God rains down fire from heaven and consumes the altar, the altar and the offering is the true God. Well, the prophets of Baal get there and they start, you know, praising their God and crying out to their God. He started cutting themselves. I love Elijah. I love Elijah because, because what did he start doing when uh, I, could just, I can just see Elijah just starts smiling. After a few hours, he just starts smiling. He starts mocking them. He starts making fun of them. You know one of the things that, okay, I, I, get, I get vilified a lot because I have a pretty big social media following and I, and I actually will call out the stupid people of our world. And I know some people are like, well, Micah, that's not very nice. But when you're dealing with wickedness, look at what Elijah did. He, he called them idiots, essentially. He said, he said, hey, maybe you guys need to scream louder. Your God might be on the toilet. That's really what it was. If you go back and look at the translation, that's what he was saying. He was like, you guys are so dumb that you think that there is this statue of Baal is actually a real thing. There is a time and a place to call out the stupidity of our culture, right? Now, it doesn't mean that I don't pray for those stupid people. I do. I pray for them a lot. That God would, would get a hold of their heart. Like Paul says in Corinthians, he says, give them over to Satan so that on the day of the Lord they will be saved. Okay, so, alright, fine, I'll give you over to your stupidness. Your, your foolishness. Your idioticness. If that's a word, right? I don't think stupidness is a word too, but you know, but, you know, you know what I'm getting at, right? And, and here's Elijah, and he's doing that. And then you see they, the, the prophets of Baal can't get anything done. So then Elijah steps up. He says, all right, Lord, show him who's boss. Yeah. And, and, and the Lord says, tells Elijah to drench, drench the, the altar with 12 huge bats of water, right? And he does that. And then the Lord rains down fire from heaven, and it consumes the entire offering altar and licks up every drop of water. In that moment, Israel sees the one true God. Now, you would think at that moment it would be like, all right, it's going down. We're taking back the throne. We're getting that Jezebel wicked uh, chick out, out and we're going we're gonna to destroy her, right? No, but we're going to pick up here in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. This is what happens. Now, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so, many of the gods do, uh, so may the gods do to me even more severely if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She was saying, you killed my prophets? May the gods deal ever so severely with me if you're not this way by this time tomorrow, Elijah. And he was afraid. He was afraid. And arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, All right, it's enough. <laughs> now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. All right, so you see this. You see he's just getting tired. He's just getting beat down. And, he, and for the life of me, I don't understand what he's thinking because think about this. He just came from a massive victory. Right? This was the day before. He sees God's fire rain down from heaven. And he lays down and he sleeps under the juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, arise and eat. Now this is beautiful. I love this. Okay? Because God is so good. Even when we're afraid. Even when we're scared. And if you ever get scared and afraid, the Lord is saying, hey, eat some food and take a nap. <laughs> like, really? That's what, he's, that's what he's telling Elijah. Eat some food and then take a nap. It's exactly what I have to tell Brody. Brody, eat some food and then take him a nap. You're going to feel better afterwards, right? It's true. It's so cool. I love that. Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Hey, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Okay? Second time, man, I'm really liking where God's going with this. Eat some more food and take another nap. I could get used to this Jesus thing, okay? All right. So he arose and ate and drank and went into the strength of that food. It went in the strength of the food. Forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. Elijah said, said this back to the Lord. The God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Now this sounds really similar to what I feel like I say a lot when I'm talking to different patriot groups or churches around the country. Our fathers, our fathers laid down this covenant with you, God, and the sons have forsaken that covenant in the United States. We made this covenant with you, and I'm just tired. I'm beat down. What? Why? And I feel like the Lord is, is saying, hey, come, I want to I show you something. And so he said, he said uh, they seek my life, and they want to take it away. So again, I said, I, I said earlier, Elijah, Elijah was tired, he was lonely, and he was afraid. And in God's goodness, you know, and I said, I said sometimes you just got to eat, and then take a nap. So remember that. Yeah. Eat and take a nap. First thing you need to do, eat and take a nap. Okay? If you ever feel beat down, go eat and then go, go sleep. If your wife says, if your, man, if your wife says, why are you sleeping again? You'll be like, Pastor Micah told me I need to. Yeah. Okay? I don't know what that's about, but I feel like it's going to bring me closer to God because he told me, so I got to do it. All right? Sorry. All right? And she said, okay, fine. Turn off the football game then, too. So, all right. <laughs> okay, so yeah. All right. Okay, so then we pick back up in verse 11. So, so he, the Lord said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was 
rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That's a pretty big storm. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there came an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard that, and now Elijah knows God's voice, all right? So when he heard that, he knew, okay, this is, this is God's voice. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You'll notice this is the second time that question was asked. Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So basically he's repeating this whole narrative. The Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you should anoint Hazael, with or king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nish, Nim, Nimsi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, I mean, all these words, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> uh, of Abel, Mahalalah, okay, we're just going to, you guys figure that one out. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes the sword of uh, Haziel, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes the, from the sword from Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, so to think about this. So there's Elijah's like, I'm all alone. There's nobody else, Lord. Take my life. They're going to take it anyway, so just take my life now. And the Lord is saying, Elijah, here's the deal. You're not alone. There's 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to the God of this world. In America today, sometimes it feels like we're kind of alone. Sometimes it feels like we're on, an, we're on an island. And you know, that's the, that's the devil's oldest trick. To make you feel like you're isolated. To make you feel like you're alone. To make you feel like there's nobody else on your side. Therefore, why, what's the point of even fighting? Do you know why the devil does that? Because he knows how powerful you are. And he knows how powerful we are. What does it say? One can put a thousand to flight, but two, ten thousand? Is what God's word says? That doesn't really add up, right? Like one, you would think one puts a thousand in flight, two would put two thousand in flight. No, one puts a thousand in flight, two to ten thousand in flight. The devil knows how powerful we are in community. Yes. You're powerful individually, but boy, when you come together as a community, and there ain't nothing he can do to stop us, right? Amen. But the fear of man, what happens is we get scared, and it will delay God's victory for our community, for our city, and for our nation. When you walk in that fear, I, I just I look and I ponder. I'm like, how much did we lose in 2020 yeah. that we could have taken ground? We could have been the church. But for the fear that overtook the church, we've delayed, I promise you, we've delayed God's blessing. Yeah. Without a doubt. Now that doesn't mean, I mean, God's faithful. And I believe that blessing will come. But I think He wants to do it through you. And sometimes what He'll say is, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to find somebody else to do it. Yeah. Right? When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out, and stood in the entrance of the cave. Behold, a voice came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, I feel like that's the word the Lord wants to impart to you today through this message. Is he's asking you, what are you doing here? If you're living in fear, what are you doing here? I just, it, it, basically, the, this question is really interesting because it's like he's telling Elijah, Elijah, this is not where you're supposed to be. I just kicked the living daylights out of Baal and his prophets. 
I expected you to take that victory and go to Jezreel and deal with Jezebel. And you're here hiding in a cave. What are you doing here? And so the Lord is, the Lord is basically saying, you're my son, I love you, absolutely, but you're not supposed to be here. You're, you're scared right now. And again, God is good. And he said, okay, rest, eat, you know. So it's neat to, it's neat to see that even in God's kind of sternness to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? He still is going to take care of Elijah, right? So you don't have to be, you, you don't have to get it perfect all the time. The Lord, there's lots of grace. There's lot, like the, I have not gotten it perfect. I've, there have been times where I've let my fear turn me in the wrong direction. The Lord said, Micah, what are you doing here? Come back over here. Come back over here, right? So we see, we see this, and Elijah goes back. Now, I want to I stop and think, say something real quick. Elijah was, was told to go and anoint Elisha. So part of this is, and I think there's many reasons, there's many different aspects of the story, but in my opinion, I wonder if, you know, the Lord anoints three different people, Haziel, Jehu, and Elisha, in this encounter with Elijah. I wonder if the Lord had thought about doing all of what he wanted to do through Elijah. But Elijah got scared, ran into the mountains, and so the Lord said, all right, fine. I'm going to anoint these two guys to be the kings. And he said, whoever gets escapes, it was kind of the safety net, right? Whoever escapes, they, they will cover each other's tracks. But I wonder, I just wonder, and there's, there's nothing in the Scripture that says this, but I wonder, was God wanting to do all of that through Elijah? But his fear got in the way. How much greater would we look at of Elijah today in Scripture if he would have not been scared, gone to Jezreel and dealt with Jezebel, killed all the prophets, dealt with Ahab, done everything, had an army. How, what would we think? We'd be like, whoa, that guy was awesome. You know what I mean? But yet, he got scared, ran into a cave, and the Lord said, all right, if you're not going to do it, if you're going to let your fear get in the way, I will find people who will do it instead. Now go back and anoint those people. Now that's not to say the Lord was done with Elijah. It's just to say the Lord... I, I, want to, I want to pose a question. It's just a question to think about. Did the Lord remove some of Elijah's mantle in that moment because the fear got in the way? And I think you can say by this story, he, he, yes, he did. And so he gave it to Jehu, Haziel, and, and Elisha. So how are we supposed to battle? How, we're in a fight. This is a spiritual war. So I love to, I, I know I'm speaking to people who, who don't live in fear. So I, I know Chris, Pastor Chris here. You wouldn't be following Pastor Chris if you guys were like always living in fear. This is a good church. This is a church that, that preaches truth and, and is not afraid to battle. And you, you probably know this, and I'm, I'm probably not telling you anything new, but I want to encourage you, because sometimes we forget when we're in the battle, we, sometimes you know, we get hit and it knocks us off of our, and knocks us back on our heels, and we get, we get disoriented a little bit. How should we continue to always battle? The story that comes to mind in the Old Testament that I always go to when I feel beat down, when I feel scared, when I feel like the battle's not going my way. I just talked to a group of parents last night uh, at a big parent advocacy group. They're fighting in the schools, and they're saying, I kept hearing parents say, we're just getting beat. The teachers' union's too strong. The school boards are overtaken by just Marxists. And by the way, Marxism is demonic. If you have any questions, like it's 100% demonic. So... Anything Marxist, just know it's right from the pits of hell, okay? So we're not even going to have that, you know, debate. I'm just going to say, hey, it's demonic, and, and move on. You know, go after it and get it out of our country. Yeah. So, 
Yep. So, but, but they were saying, they were saying, man, we're fighting this Marxist onslaught of, of ideological warfare in the schools, and we're not winning. And so really kind of in the last minute, the Lord just said, hey, teach them how to battle. Teach them how to do warfare. And so we, and, and, and he brought to mind the story of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles. I don't know if you know that story. But in 2 Chronicles, if you have your Bible, chapter 20, it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Okay, so what, here we go, right? We're just right back to where Elijah was. Elijah, Elijah was scared. Jehoshaphat was afraid. The parents fighting the school board. They're getting scared. They don't know what to do, right? This is a common occurrence in the people of God's uh, journey. It's, it's a, you're going to probably stand up and say, oh, I'm kind of scared right now, right? So, And how many times does the Lord say in Scripture, fear not? I mean, I don't know. I'm asking you how many times. <laughs> Do you know, Chris? <laughs> it's, what's that? It was, a, yeah, 365? Is that something like that? I'm going to go on that. I know it's a lot, okay? I knew it was a lot. I didn't do the research. But it was a many times in Scripture do we see the Lord tells people, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. But here we are. Jehoshaphat was afraid. And the armies, the three enemy armies were coming against the king of Judah, and, and, and they were going to wipe him out again. They were in this you fight for their lives. So Jehoshaphat doesn't know what to do. So he's afraid, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. And again, I feel like this is America. I feel like what's happening. There is a revival. There are churches, remnant churches, that are rising up right now all over this country. I mean, what's happening here is not unique to Richmond. I see it in Indianapolis. I see it up in Michigan. I saw it out in D.C. when I was out in D.C. a few weeks ago. There are godly men and women and churches that are, are doing this. They're seeking the Lord. They're praying and fasting. And I believe the Lord is hearing our prayers. But it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean the battle's done. It just means he's saying, all right, I hear you. And I'm going to fight on behalf of those who I love. So Judas, they set their face to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, going back to the history of the nation, right? Going back to the history. You are not God in the heavens. You, or you are, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over the kingdoms of all the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. I feel like in America, our founding fathers knew this. I could give you quotes. I, do a, I teach a constitutional literacy class for a school in Carmel uh, to, up, to high, upper level high schools, uh, high, high school class. And, and one of the things that you see constantly in the founding documents of our, of our nation is this mention of if God is not for us, then this will not succeed. If we do not go back to biblical principles, we will not succeed. You know, it, you know uh, the American Constitution was based on biblical truth. It's all, even our legal code, you go back, it's, it's the law of Moses. You go to the Supreme Court, and there's Moses with the Ten Commandments in, etched in stone above the Supreme Court. That's not a coincidence. You see, the, 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 the tallest point in Washington, D.C. is the tip of the Washington Monument. And on, inscribed in the tip of the monument, it says, Laus Deo, which means glory to God. Our founders knew that there is a God, and if we don't have his, his help, if he doesn't fight for us, then we will, not, we will not succeed as a nation. A great example of a nation that tried to do the same thing as the United States, but failed miserably, is France. Who did they base their constitution off of? Voltaire and the Enlightenment. Human Enlightenment. Not Enlightenment from God's perspective, but humanity's Enlightenment. 
It was based in the sand. You know how many times we've had one constitution since 1789. 1789, we've had, or 1787, we've had one constitution, and, and it's lasted for 234 years. 234 years. In the same time, France has had seven constitutions. That we've had one. Do you know the average lifespan of a constitution in world history is 17 years? 17 years. Our founding fathers knew this. They knew that they were trying to start something that probably had very little chance of success. And Susan and I, my wife, in our story, the doctor came to us with Savannah and said, hey, you've got about 5% chance that this is going to be successful. But with God, all things are possible. All right, amen? And so we're right back at it. We see Jehoshaphat's doing the same thing. He's saying, There's, we know, God, that you were the God of our fathers, and if it wasn't for you, this nation wouldn't even be here. And so you're the one that nobody can stand against. Did you not, our, O oh, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in the house and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Amen? They rose early. So then the next day they get up. They prayed and fasted. And the next day the prophet of the Lord said, here's what the Lord is telling you to do. And so they, ride, they get up the next day and they, they march out to meet this massive enemy from Ammon, from Moab, from Mount Seir, these armies that are coming together to take Judah. And this is, this is what happened. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in His prophets and you will succeed. Now this is a very different, this is a very different path that Jehoshaphat's taking than Elijah took. Okay? They were both afraid. And they both knew God. And they both could hear the voice of God. But one of them said, all right, we're afraid. That's all right. Put our trust in the Lord, and we're going to go. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God can save us. But if he doesn't, we still aren't bound to your wicked ways. Right? So this is a very different path that you see in this. So when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in the holy attire as they went out before the army. Okay, so I just want to paint this picture for you. Okay, this is, okay, how many, how many of you guys remember watching the onslaught of, uh, of Fallujah when, when our Marines went house to house and they were going in, the, in Iraqi freedom? It was, Fallujah was that stronghold, right, where, um, where Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and ISIS, you know, before ISIS was ISIS, like, they were real, it was a hard place to do battle, right? Well, think of, think of a war like that. And think of if, at the time, President Bush would have said, hey, Okay, uh, I'm going to draft all of the worship pastors who wear skinny jeans and uh, tight pants and clothes and grab your guitars and you guys will be the first ones to go into Fallujah singing praises to God. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it's, you'd, be, you'd be like, all right, 25th Amendment, this guy, he's lost his mind, get him out of office. You know what I mean? Like, but this is what Jehoshaphat did. He said, take the worship leaders put them at the front of the, the army, and march them into the battle first, singing praises to God. Okay? Powerful. Powerful, right? And then what happened? 
They sang, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now notice this. This is really interesting. They didn't say, God, give us strength, make our swords quick, help me to spear the guy that I don't like in the heart, and then like I'm going to rip his heart out and be like, yeah, 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 you know, like, you know, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> finish him, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, there's a time and a place where you see they prayed that in Scripture, like make our, make our swords and our arrows accurate, right? But they didn't do it this time. They just, they just said, Lord, Give, you are worthy to be praised. You are awesome. Your loving kindness is everlasting. You are God. We are not. So what they were doing is they were putting God on His rightful place. They weren't, worried, they weren't even looking at the battle. They were just fixing their eyes on the Lord. And then this is the cool part. When they began singing and praising, the very moment they started singing, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and all who had come against Judah, so they were routed and they were destroyed. Amen? Amen. The very moment they started singing and praising. So you want to know how to fight this battle we're in the United States? Yeah, we should elect good people, absolutely. But that's not going to fix our problem. Yes, we should have fight for good policy, absolutely, but that's not going to fix the problem. What's going to fix the problem is when the church actually gets on their knees and begins to praise the living God for who He is. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. So they didn't even have to fight! Isn't it amazing? Okay, so think about it this way. Sometimes... This is why I love praying in the Spirit, because sometimes we don't know what to pray, right? If, if I was Jehoshaphat, and I was saying, okay, we need, like, we need to be praying specifically, I would have thought, naturally, make our, our arrows accurate and give our swords, you know, swiftness and strength and make our men strong so we can go and, you know, beat, the bat, beat, beat back the enemy, right? But that wasn't in God's, that was not God's plan. Now, sometimes it is God's plan to do it that way, but it wasn't this time. And who could have ever in their wildest dreams imagined that the Lord would have sent a spirit of confusion and they would have killed themselves? <laughs> right? I mean, nobody. No military historian, general, like, no, they would have said, hey, uh, I, I know what's going to happen. You walk, I, you walk into the courtroom of Jehoshaphat and all of his generals, hey, uh, generals, I, I, I know what's going to happen. They're going to kill themselves tomorrow. All right, get this guy out of here. This guy's nuts. All right, yeah, he's not coming with us, like, you know. It, but that's what it would, have, it would have been like. But the Lord would say, no, I'm going to do it my way. Just honor me for who I am. Okay, let me, let me be God, because that's who I am. So that's, the first, that's what we've got to remember. Sometimes when you don't know what to do, because sometimes I get so frustrated when I'm out in this political fight in this world, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. And the Lord says, do what they did in Chronicles. Just put me on my throne. Just lift my name higher than any other name that this world has ever heard. And then let me be God, and I will take care of it. Amen? Elijah got scared and ran into the wilderness. Jehoshaphat got scared and went into the battle and trusted the Lord. And look at the outcome. I wonder what the Lord would have done if Elijah would have gotten scared but said, I'm, I trust God. I'm going to Jezreel. I'm going to find Jezebel. I wonder what would have happened. Now, the Lord took care of Jezebel, praise the Lord, uh, through King Jehu. Now, Jehu, if you want to talk about comparison, modern-day comparison, 
He is, uh, you study the life of Jehu, and you're like, wow, that guy's Donald Trump. That guy is exactly Donald Trump. That guy, didn't th- he, he punched first and, and asked questions later, right? <laughs> but it's interesting that the Lord raised up Jehu to go and fight Jezebel. And there's a spirit of Jezebel that's got a stronghold in this late nation right now, right? And, and so, but think about how Je- Jezebel was really good at manipulating normal male leaders. And by normal, I mean just the ones that followed the rules, were classy, were dignified. She couldn't manipulate those all day long. What she couldn't do was manipulate the hotheads that didn't think about what they were doing. They just did it. said, the Lord sent me on a mission, and I'm I'm a seek and destroy mission right now. You see, when Jehu came into Jezreel to find Jezebel, Jezebel sees the chariots coming from a long way off. And she asks, who is that? And the eunuchs, her servants, tell, tell her, well, that looks like... Jehu, because he's driving his chariot like a maniac. <laughs> That's what they said. Okay? And then the two kings ride out. The two kings ride out, and Jehu just kills them. I mean, he doesn't even think twice about it. It's like, ah, you're dead. You're dead. You know what I mean? Like, okay? And they were trying to be diplomatic, and he, he killed them. And then he rides up to the tower where Je- Jezebel's at. She comes out. She's got her guards, her eunuchs there, too. She, and the Bible says she put on all of her makeup. She put on all her clothes, her pretty clothes. Because that, remember, she, that's how she manipulates. She manipulates the power of the day through the normal, the normal route. But Jehu wasn't normal. He was a wild, like bold, courageous, say whatever he was thinking, and, like kind of person. And he pulls up to the tower and he looks up at Jehu and, and she says, what are you here for? And he basically says, he doesn't even answer her. He looks at the eunuchs and he says, if you don't throw her off, you have two choices. Throw her off the balcony now, or I will kill you too. All right. <laughs> All right. She doesn't even have a chance to manipulate him. Right? <laughs> That's right. So the, the courage, the courage of Jehu, the boldness of Jehu is what destroyed the Jezebel spirit and the Jezebel of, of Judah's day and Israel's day. Well, the Lord is saying, America, wake up. Where's the boldness? The spirit of Jezebel is destroying you limb by limb by limb. Go out, and you don't even, don't even talk to it. Just destroy it. Right? But when you know your identity, and I think that's what Je- Je- Jehoshaphat, which is, which is shocking to me that Elijah forgot that for a moment. But even in the moment, he, he forgot it, and it led him down a, a different path. J- Jehoshaphat didn't forget that. He said, we know the God of our fathers. And we're the sons of those fathers. And that God said that he was going to bless this nation to our fathers. And we believe that we're sons, so we receive that blessing too. And we're going to walk in that identity. So when you know your identity, church, you, you, it doesn't matter if you're scared. And, and it's okay if you're scared. You look at what Gideon, I love the story of Gideon. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, he said the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, you know when, when the angel of the Lord told Gideon this? You know where he was at? He was hiding in a shed. <laughs> uh, who are you? Are you a Philistine? What, like, are Midianite? I mean, are you Midianite? What are, who are you? And, and, and he said, arise, mighty warrior. Can you imagine Gideon in that moment? Like, Excuse me? Uh, I'm the only person in here. I think you have the wrong shed. Go two sheds down, take your left, and then that's probably the shed you want. You know what I mean? Like, but they were hiding. He was hiding. And the Lord said, no, I see something in you. You don't see it in yourself right now, but I know your true identity. 
You know, if I was a, I was a professional uh, musician for a few years after college, and I played in a Christian band, and we toured the country. This was about 2007, 2008. And I saw the Lord doing something really interesting within the youth of America at that time. He was, rape, he was waking them up. There was an awakening to their true identity in Christ. The Holy Spirit was moving. I, I mean, we, we were in youth groups where I, where I just saw the power of the Lord moving like I've never seen before. Healings were happening. Kids were prophesying. Like It was like these kids were walking in their identity. And I was like, this is awesome. And then about five years later, roughly, started like getting more public and something, was, something weird was going on. There was this thing taking over in the public schools. And these kids started saying, hey, you know what? I'm a little, I was born a girl, but I'm going to be a boy. I was born a boy, but I'm going to be a girl. I, I want to be a cat, so I'm going to call myself a furry. No joke. We have people, in, I'm, I'm not, like, that's for real. They call themselves furries. They don't know who they are physically now. And I thought to myself, wow, that's interesting, because I saw the Lord waking up a generation to the true identity in Him. If you ever want to know what God's doing, you don't know, just look at what the devil's doing. You can see that. The devil's always countering the move of the Holy Spirit. He's never doing something new. He's always countering. He's always on defense. He's always, he's always saying, God's doing this. We need to counter and do this. So he's always going to do the opposite of what God is doing. So, so about five years after I saw this all over the country, I see, I see in schools now these kids don't even know their, their physical identity. And the Lord said, the devil's countering what I'm doing. I'm waking everyone up to their true identity and who they are in me. But if they don't know their identity physically, they'll never know their identity spiritually. And so, so that is, that's what's going on. So I, I saw these kids who didn't even know they were Gideons, and they were like, oh, wow, I'm a Gideon. Amazing. And the Lord, if you walk in your true identity, that's what scares the devil. Churches, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but all over this country in America don't scare the devil. Like most churches probably don't scare him at all. Probably like, nah, okay, I lost the battle for your soul, but you're pretty irrelevant, feckless. I don't have to worry about you. I want to be surrounded by the churches whose lead pastors, their pictures are on the war room of hell. Right? And you got one. You got one, absolutely. Those are the pastors that I want to be around. So I'm like, let's go, buddy. We're going to fight. You know what I mean? Because the devil does not want the Christians of the world to do anything because they scare his kingdom. Right? Amen. We are made in God's image. When you know this, you walk in it. Imago Dei. The Latin word that means in his image. You are made in the mighty image of God. So how does God do anything? Well, I'm gonna go, this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. You said Yahweh earlier. I love this. The, Exodus 15.3. If you want to know who God is, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Yahweh is His name. Amen? If you're made in His image, then that's you too. Right? You're a warrior. If you're made in His image, and you walk in that. And I, I was like, okay, Lord, this is all great. I'm going to wrap up with this, just this last thought here. But the Lord said to me, Micah, walk in my image. And I'm like, how can I be effective? He said, well, how do I do anything? I was like, what do you mean? How do you do anything? You're God. You do whatever you want. He said, no, how do I do anything? I said, I don't know. You just say it and it happens, you know? He said, exactly. I speak it into existence. I speak what I want to happen and then it happens. You're made in His image. Speak it into existence. When the church doesn't speak truth, no wonder truth isn't flowing through our streets and our schools because we haven't spoken into existence yet. 
You know why the, you know, again, you know why social media and the tech giants are trying to censor the speech right now? Because the devil knows that if the church can't speak truth, truth won't flow. Right? But we're not, but we don't need social media to speak truth. Just open your mouth, speak it into the atmosphere. And there ain't no social media, Mark Zuckerberg, that can stop that, right? <laughs> Hebrews 1.3 says this, And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made perfect, or purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now this is interesting, by the word of his power. It's always kind of thrown me. Well, Lord, that doesn't make sense to me. Why are you saying it that way? And then I was listening to one of my favorite authors and speakers, John Bevere, speak on this once. And he said, he said, do you know why God wrote it this way? Do you know why it was written this way in Hebrews? He said, because if he would have said by the power of his word, that would have meant his word is powerful. But when he says by the word of my power, he's saying all of my power is wrapped up in my word. Every aspect of my power is wrapped up in my word. Well, if you know, if you know who God is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Jesus is the abundance of the power of God. He's everything. He's the, whole, the whole manifestation of the power of God is in the Word, and Jesus Christ is the Word. God says, I do everything by my Word. I do everything by my Son, who is Jesus. Now go and speak that out over this nation, out over your cities, out over your communities, and watch truth and victory come your way. We see, we see so many Christians today who have just bridled their tongue to the point they don't even open their mouth. And I'm like, release the tongue. Let the, the, life and death, the power of life and death is in the tongue. No wonder life is being stripped right from our nation. It's because the church has not used the tongue. If we as a church begin to speak the truth of God into this world, we will see life flowing back through our, through our cities, through Richmond, through the public schools, through Indiana. I believe Indiana is prophetically anointed to see, about, see a big revival in the United States. Yes. I don't think it's interesting that we call ourselves the crossroads of America. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think we're considered the heartland, the heartbeat of America. I think there is a, there is a prophetic anointing on this part of the nation to restore what God wants to do and take us back to the foundations of our Father. But the question is, are we going to live in fear or are we going to walk into the battle with victory? Don't fear man, fear God, church. Don't fear man, fear God. When the church returns to the fear of the Lord, I believe we will see our nation revive and we will see, we will just see rocket fuel and we will see a harvest. Now this is the cool thing. Yes, I want to see America restored. But more importantly, I want to see a harvest come into the kingdom of God. It's not about America. Now I have a, I, listen, I can't stand it when I hear pastors. I hear pastors all the time say, well, I'm not about America. I'm about the world, right? It's like, do you treat your family that way? I'm not about my family. I'm about the world's family, right? It's like, no, the Lord gave you your family, steward your family well, no, you know, idiot. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, the Lord gave you America, steward America well. It's not, it's not rocket science. But so many pastors said, well, we don't want to be about Christian nationalism. I want to say, no, I am about Christian nationalism because I want my nation to be a Christian nation, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
And I want, I want the harvest for the kingdom. It's not about America. It's about the kingdom. And I, want, and I hope that the Christians in Iran say the same thing about Iran. I hope the Christians in England say the same thing about England. I hope the Christians in, in, in Ethiopia say the same, same things about Ethiopia. They're, they're placed there to see their nation return to the Gospel, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? When we do that, church, it's going to get fun. It's going to get wild. This is an exciting time to be alive. I hope... I'll, and I'll, I'll wrap this up with prayer here, but I hope that this has encouraged you. And I think, just if you have an eternal perspective, if you ever get scared, just think about where you're going to be in 10,000 years from now. Okay? going to be somewhere. I can't wait to find you all in heaven someday and say, do you remember? We got to be the church in 2021! That was awesome! We got to go into the battle and beat the living daylights out of the enemy and his demons, right? Yeah. And I can't, I, Paul, I guarantee you, Paul's going to come up to each one of you and he's going to say, what was it like having a Twitter account? Oh my goodness, you could spread the gospel to millions of people just with two thumbs. He had to walk 40 miles to tell five people about the gospel. He's going to be like, that would have been awesome. And boy, that would have saved me a lot of heartache. You know what I mean? <laughs> We get to live in this time. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Hey, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray a blessing over you. Heavenly Father, thank You for this amazing community, for this body of Jesus followers. Not Christians. They're Jesus followers. They're Jesus lovers. I thank You for this church here. Would You bless them? Would You give them the spirit of Jehu? that they would just go up to the spirit of Jezebel and destroy it without even thinking twice, Father. Let that be said of Gateway, that they are a, they drive their chariots like maniacs but because they're on a mission from God. And I pray, God, that You would just explode Richmond with the glory of God. I pray that the Spirit of the, of the Holy God of Israel, the Holy God of the universe, would flood through the streets of Richmond, would take the schools by storm, the businesses by storm, the churches by storm, and we will see a revival in this area that would lead into Indianapolis, that then would lead into the world, or into our nation, and then into the world, Father. Let that be said of the church in America in 2021, that we found our courage and we feared God, not man. Lord, we love You and we are so, so grateful for Your Spirit when resting upon us gives us the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Lord, we love You and we praise You. It's in Your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. That might have been a little longer than you normally go, so I'm sorry. That was good. Come on, get rise to your feet. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Hey, we're going to take an opportunity. Um, Thank you. I heard. What I heard the Lord say for me is that, um, Pastor Micah, I know how much this man volunteers his time. He goes out and gives so much of his time to bless the community, to make a difference. And I want you to take, I want, I want to take care of his next 10 meetings. You know what I'm saying? Where they can't pay for it or they're not giving him anything. Would you this morning, I want to write, out, write your checks out to Gateway Church. Um, and everything you give this morning is going to go directly to Micah to say thank you for what you do, because he's just not ministering to the church. He's ministering to those right now who are um, trapped in this culture, who don't know what to do, who are voiceless, don't have anyone to lean upon. He's making a stand for those. And so this morning, as we give, let's trust that the Lord will impact him 
to continue to do what he's doing. Would you give this morning to the ministry of Micah Beckwith? Let's take a moment, write your checks out, the Gateway Church, and let's come on up at this time, and let's bless him, all right? Father, thank you for the opportunity to give and to help send Micah forth in a greater way to the nations, to the world, to our fellow Hoosiers, God. And we thank you for it, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and give, and then thank you guys for being with us this morning. How many enjoyed the message this morning? Come on. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you, and have a blessed week.